So today, um, the sermon title is called the Insert That Challenge. So you realize that the internet is a very strange little place. And so uh, a lot of movement, a lot of new ideas, a lot of uh, new transformations do happen uh, from a few handful of people that started out something on the internet and, and then it just snowballs into something even greater and it becomes a worldwide thing that uh, people young and old, strong and weak, do participate for particular reasons. And sometimes there are really good causes and reasons and I'm sure a lot of you have even participated in some form in the past. So there was this thing called the Ice Bucket Challenge that happened a couple of years back. And so this is a, a challenge that was uh, happened to raise awareness, awareness of, uh, of multiple sclerosis. And um, different people were uh, throwing buckets of ice, ice water over the heads and um, to challenge their friends to, 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 to embark on this challenge uh, as a way to raise funds and... and um, people's uh, awareness and support for, for, uh, for MS. And it was really successful, and they had a record donation the year after, and they made a lot of huge uh, scientific and medical breakthroughs as a result of the funding that was uh, available to them. So you have things that are really good for the world, and you have some that are nonsense, and they do nothing, and they are just for publicity. So there's something called the cinnamon challenge that happened quite a few years back. And so what people did was they're challenged to take a, a tablespoon of cinnamon and they ingest it in their mouth. And for those who have never done it, it sucks. Like, imagine you are tasting something that burns in your mouth and you are dehydrated at the same time and you want to quench that thirst and you try to drink water but as you drink water it spreads the cinnamon and you get even more burning sensation and more thirsty. That's what cinnamon challenge is about and people do it. You're like, why are people so masochistic, like inflicting pain on themselves but that's the way for them because they get challenged by themselves, uh, by their friends and they're like, well my friends said you should do it so I guess I have to do this or I look like a chicken by not doing this thing, right? And even the last year or two, there's something even more stupid. And I, I still don't understand to this day why people do it. There's something called the Tide Pot Challenge. I see that uh, some people are shaking their heads. So it's exactly as it shows on this picture that people of all ages are being challenged to, to, to eat a Tide Pot. These are laundry detergent that people put in their mouths and they eat it because they're challenged by the internet or themselves to do these things because it's cool to do it. And there are all these videos on YouTube where people do take an iPod, not iPod, Tide Pods and shove in their mouths. And there are people that actually got killed doing this. And you think like, why are people stupid enough to, to do something that they know is not going to end well, right? But that's the world we're in. And people do follow movements. People do follow challenges because they want to be a part of something. And they 
sometimes feel that they are behind something greater than themselves as they're doing this. And it's almost like a copy-pasta thing where they go and they see someone do this and so they have to do it themselves. And so why am I spending so much time talking about this? So last week, we talked about the idea of worship. And worship is not just going on a Sunday, singing some songs, listening to some pretty weird preacher talking about memes and, and, and something about God. But, but it's about witnessing, to experience stories from others about God and to also use your stories to inspire and to reveal God to those that you encounter. And you might think, okay, well, sounds like a good idea, so I should do it. But as we're thinking about that, what does it even mean when we say go out and worship in the next six days? You might just end up saying, okay, I'm going to go sing some songs or preach to my friends or pray to my friend, and that's worship, and then I'm good to go because that's what my pastor told me to do. Maybe we never really get a chance to think more and try to reflect on what exactly is worship. What does worship look like outside this church setting on a Sunday morning. And sometimes we tend to sell ourselves short and we say that, okay, well, we'll just go look at a Bible verse and and then we'll be good and just follow whatever the Bible tells us. And so the verse that people tend to say, and uh, forgive me, Etch, we went through this on Friday. So the verse is, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Maybe that's what people would tell you. But I would say it's a very easy but irresponsible way to tell people what worship is. Because you go and say, be a living sacrifice. But the next question would be, what's living sacrifice? Like, are you telling me to burn myself on, on, on an altar and then God would be pleased because I burned myself physically? Or like, what does living sacrifice even mean? And how does that actually become something holy and pleasing to God? It's almost like just telling someone, if you want to be good, just get good with God. Like, by just, by just being better, then that's what worship is. But, of course, it's almost like a tautology, right? Like, in a circular argument. To be good with God, you need to be, get better at being good. Like, you're not really explaining anything. Like, the person just comes out more confused as to what does that even mean, right? And so, a lot of times, we think that, okay, so does that mean worship is just about thinking God is great and perfect? Like, I, I, I know that God is great and I understand that God is great, so I go out in this world and I just keep thinking that God is great and that's good enough. I'm worshiping God and I don't have to think more. I don't have to do anything differently with my life, and I'm good to go. Well, if you hear me saying that, of course, I'm going to say there's more to it, right? It's not just the mere idea of internalizing this thought that God is good, or God is great. And so here we are at today's passage in Colossians. And this is a book that Paul wrote talking about what does it mean to be in this new life? What does it mean now that you know 
this cosmic God was willing to come as a human person and die on our behalf to redeem us from sin. And then now that we are able to live this new life as Christians. And, and so Paul then goes on and talks about now that we are God's chosen people, how shall we live out our lives? And so at the beginning of this passage, it talks about the fact that as new people of God, we need to clothe ourselves in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So go and have these good qualities. And, and then you can't help but think that is it just a bunch of doing a bunch of stuff like we talked about in the Old Testament again? Like if we follow some rules, act some way, then we're good to go. We, we are worshiping God. But, of course, Paul goes on, or the writer says that this putting on our new self is not just an act of a list of laundry items that we just do and then we're good and we're worshiping. There's more to it. There's a whole new life as we are talking about worship. That now that you're redeemed and living out this new life, you're no longer bound by rituals. You're no longer bound by just custom. That by doing a bunch of things, by following a bunch of ideas, then you're worshiping God. It's more than that. And so Paul goes on. And this is very pivotal that he says, and over all these virtues of humility, of kindness and compassion and gentleness, most important of all, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Put on love. And so there's something about love that is pretty important when we think about worship. Putting on this love that is from Christ, that has given us. And so we talked about this idea last week, that worship is about rooting ourselves in God's greater story. When we say rooting ourselves as we worship in God's greater story, it's about seeing how this experience of love, seeing this story of love from the beginning of creation to the time of Moses, to Joshua, to David, to the prophets, to even the times when Jesus was here. How can these stories of love of God, whether we find it as to really absurd, things that we don't even see as loving, to the things that clearly is love, how does that re- relate? How does that resonate with our grand story that we're living out in our lives today? And so as we put on this love, we're able to, it's almost like wearing a new set of glasses that maybe before we were blurred to this world. And you know those people who are really severely nearsighted, almost like legally blind. When they see this world, the world is just a blur. And if you tell them this is an orange, this is a banana, this is an apple, they're like, it's just a blur of light to me, like. I don't know what you mean. And you're saying this is beautiful, and you're like, what? It's just a bunch of almost like traffic lights in front of me. It's when you put on Christ's love, wearing these set of glasses, 
that these things become more natural and clear to you. That you can see the contours of the beauty, uh, the shapes of these things, and the colors and the liveliness of the natural creation of God. And so that's why Paul continues on and says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. And let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through songs, hymns, and singings from the Spirit. Singing to God with gratitude in your heart. And so, it's not so much about the things we do. It's not so much about how grand or how dramatic these acts that we're doing on the next six days. But it's about how we engage it, what kind of attitudes, what kind of mindsets that we come into as we say we want to live out this worship in the next six days. Are we really letting this Christ love living in us so that we can see the peace happening as Christ rules in our heart? Are we letting this Christ love living in us so that this message becomes something that is natural when we engage the world whether it may be little things or the big things that we encounter. And so it's really about letting Christ take root in your entirety. You always hear some people blip over this idea of holistic worship, and that's what it's about. Holistic not in the sense of just everything we do, but it's in everything we experience, that we think in the mindset of Christ. Like, if we know Jesus is love, how does that change the way I see the world around us? How does it change the way in the words that I listen to the people that I encounter? The way, the way I speak out in truth and in love to those around? And so it's about being attentive to the pulse of Christ. That Christ's heartbeat is always pulsing in this entire creation. The problem is, are we paying attention to these big, and small beatings of Christ's heart in, in the, something as little as sweeping the floors to something as great as visiting hospitals for those who are under illnesses. And so, as a way to illustrate, I want to invite you for an exercise. And so, raise your hand if um, you're right-handed. I think most of you guys are right-handed, right? And I guess it'll be more apparent. Like, which one of you are left-handed? I know Theo is, and then we have Ken, Henry, and we have Brian Long, and we also have uh, Robert over there, too. So we're going to do an exercise together. So you have paper and pen in front of it, in front of you, right? And so I would like to ask you to take a piece of paper and a pencil, and what you're going to do is you have 40 seconds and you have to use the hand that is not dominant. So if you're right-handed, you have to use your left hand. If you're left-handed, you have to use your right hand. And what you need to do is you have to write, and I'm assuming most of you guys can write the English alphabet. So you have to write the English alphabet in lowercase in 40 seconds with your non-dominant hand. And so I'm going to give a, a few seconds for you guys to get ready. And I'll actually go and time you guys. So, okay. 
So get ready, and you can begin now. So write the lowercase English alphabet from A to Z. As neat and as fast as you can within 40 seconds. Okay, we're 20 seconds now. Hope you're at like L or M or something. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Okay, time's up. Hands down. So who actually couldn't finish the alphabet in 40 seconds? Be honest. There's no shame, even though I'll point at you, but. Okay, there's quite a few of you. So, it sounds very intuitive, right? But when you try to do it, it's not as easy as you think. And so, this is something I was, I've been trying to do for a month. So, every day I would spend about half an hour and use my left hand and write the alphabet. I'll do about half a page every day, trying to write down the alphabet. And it's not an easy thing. So this is day one as I was doing this on April 3rd. And you can see it's terrible, like everything is squiggly all over the place. And then by about a little more than a week, like day 12, it starts to get better. You can see more straight lines, but it's still pretty bad on the writing. And then at around day 21, it's almost like there's a relapse and it started to get really ugly again. I don't know why. But at around about four weeks' time, I, I can start to see some signs of improvement. Like, I can more or less consistently write the letters that I can tell their letters. And, and I can start writing without uh, lines on the paper, and it will be more or less uniform. So what am I trying to say? Like, I'm just trying to share a little experience of what I learned as I, as I was doing this. And... It's quite relevant to the concept of what I was explaining earlier about being attentive to the pulse of Christ. And so, what I learned was that this is not easy. Like you think you're so used to writing with your main hand that it's really transferable. You know how letters look like. You know how to write a letter, like the strokes, the direction of the strokes. So naturally, you think eh, it is easy. I'll pick it up pretty quickly. But it's not like I was struggling so hard for the longest time. And, and you know how like people get frustrated easily? Like you try every day for like a week or two weeks and you don't see any signs of improvement and you get frustrated. Like for me, I am a bit of a perfectionist and I get fed up. Like seeing myself my squiggly letters, I'm more really aesthetically concerned and I'm like, I can't deal with this. Like I'm writing terrible letters. And so, this is not an easy thing and it's not a natural thing. It takes a lot of time. And even after a month, I'm barely making any signs of progress. And as I keep reflecting too, I remember back in the day when I was a kid, even younger than like the front row here, I was like grade three or four. And I would go to my grandparents' house and I would see them trying to write. And I'm like, how hard is it to learn how to write? Like, I mean, I saw them writing. It's exactly like what I was writing earlier. Like, it was all squiggly and like really weird. They would keep trying and it would still be squiggly and weird. And 
and I'm like, and, and to a point I feel so embarrassed that I would say, I almost like look down on them, like, why aren't you doing normal letters? Like, you, you're, you're an adult, you can write. But, of course, they didn't have the luxury back then when they were young to, to go to school and learn how to write. And so, it's not easy, right? And so, as I was reflecting how this impacts my understanding of worship, it's the same thing, like, we sometimes come into thinking about paying attention to God. It's something that is so intuitive that we look at the Bible, like, that's what it says, like, I'll just be attentive. But it's not that easy, like, to be constantly wiring ourselves to think what Christ is really thinking as I'm experiencing this. What is God trying to say to me? What is the Spirit trying to lead me? It's not something that is natural in our wiring, that we need to keep digging. That's why we call discipleship something that's like athletics, that we need to exercise, we need to practice, we need to keep trying, and we might not get it at the beginning, but we have to keep digging and digging until we improve to be something that is natural to us. And in the same time, as I was trying to learn, even holding a pen, I realized I picked up really bad habits. Like, I would try to mirror myself holding a pen on my right hand, and I try to do the same thing on my left, and I realized I'm not as flexible with my fingers, that I can't hold my pen the same way as I was writing, holding my right hand. And it's the same way of worship, right? You see someone, some spiritual giants that you look up to. They, they do it a certain way. You're like, oh, then I'll just do it. And you realize it's not natural. Like, I can't do it the way they do it. And then you, you might get discouraged. You're like, oh, this is hard. I'm not going to do it, right? I, and then I pick up bad habits, and I thought I'm getting better. But when I try to fix my bad habits, then I start to struggle again. And it's like wor- worship as well. You think you're doing better, but you realize you have these bad habits and shortcuts that you do. And then as you try to fix them, then you feel you're stuck again. Kind of like Bible reading. Like you start off reading a Bible, you're all excited. And then by like day 10, you realize you start just skimming through passages because you're like, oh, I heard the story before, so I don't really need to pay attention. And then you realize, oh, I actually didn't get much out of it at the end. Right? It's the same concept. And so, worship is exercise, like, it's not easy. And, and you might think, like, why am I even writing with my left hand? Uh, as science tells you, right, you think differently when you use different hands to, 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 to train your different hands. You wire differently. And so I'm trying to learn to be ambidextrous so that as I write, and now I'm starting to get used to this, and I start writing passages out every day. And... I'm trying to attune to the more creative side of my brain so that I'm hoping I can see God in a different light as I'm reading and writing these passages. And so long story short, right? So personal worship, it's not just about doing things. It's about inviting us to be attentive to God's love in all areas of our lives. It invites us to praise, to witness, and when you get to the point, you can reciprocate such a love in all that we do to the creation and to those around us. And so if you can get to that point, even something like peeling an orange can be an act of worship when you have that attentiveness to God. And even, this is the question, million dollar question that people keep asking, right? How do I discern God's will? How do I live out in a way that's pleasing to God? And I think that's what discernment is about, is when you're worshiping God, when you're close to God, then these things become natural. 
that you know what God wants you to experience. You know what God wants to lead, where God wants to lead you, and what God wants you to do. And you just naturally do these things. And so I want to challenge you today, now that you hear me blurb for about 20-something minutes about worship, to go and find your own exercise. Find the thing that would help wire you to be attentive to God. And as you do it in the name of Jesus, you can also give thanks to God the Father through Him. And so I challenge you today, in the different senses that you engage this, this world, whether it may be in your listening to people, in the way you sniff and smell the world around you, in the way you taste, the way you speak, in the way you see things, see nature, see people, see arts, in the way you reflect in, in your contemplation, or even in the way you feel physically and emotionally. Do it in a way that you're attuned to the pulse of Christ. Do it in a way that you can sense God's presence as real in whatever context you're in. Take one thing and share with someone that you can hold accountable to, that you can actually go and experience. And then you can share those ideas and how that turns out after a week's time. And so, as the worship team come up and lead us to another song of response, instead of a closing, like a closing sermon prayer, I would just like to read to you something that I encountered yesterday from a podcast called The Liturgist. And I think it's a good reminder about who God is to us when we attune ourselves to worship. So this is... Um, a quote by William Matthews, and he actually is one of the worship leaders from uh, Bethlehem Music. So this is what he said. As we have some background music, it sounds more compelling, apparently. So, what is God, if not everything and more? God is in the particular, found in the hidden and subatomic, as well as universal. Moving sky, tree, and air. What is God if not absolute love? If not the dreams of the universal, if not the spirit that is pushing all things forward. Everything within our life and in our psyche. What is God if not the dynamism that creates the universe, that keeps all things forward? Who is God I think God is in the person I often ignore, in the space that feels mundane, in the excitement that I feel when I see someone that I love. Who is God? In the face of Christ, seeing Christ in the face of my neighbor, in the face of the poor, in the face of, dare I even say, the enemies that I have. I see Christ, or I see God standing with the Jews in the times of the Holocaust. I see God with us, in and through time and space, often in places where I don't think He is in.